So this Sunday, we're really privileged that we'll have one of our very own uh, deacons who will be sharing with us. So uh, week one is uh, one of our deacons in this church, and he has been with us for many, many, many years. I don't even know how far back he goes. And so he is um, uh, the father of uh, three beautiful children in our church, and we even see that beautiful keyboard player who who is is, um, one of uh, Viquan's very own. And so uh, today Viquan will be sharing with us uh, a message uh, that ties in with the theme uh, of Mother's Day. So why don't you come up, Viquan, and I would like to pray for you before you begin. Father God, we give thanks for um, your gift of life and your gift of creation. Lord, uh, as we continue to worship you today, we pray for week one, uh, who will be sharing with us uh, your wisdom, and may you use them, your servant, to, to uh, enlighten us uh, in your words, and may we uh, continue to have you glorified as we continue to worship you. We pray all these in your son's most precious name. Amen. Morning. Happy Mother's Day. Um, wanna, I know some of you have been praying for me this week. Um, really want to thank you for it. God knows who you are, so um, I'm just grateful for that. So um, today we have uh, lessons from three mothers. Um, let me see if this works. Okay, so before we get into it, I just want to share with you a verse that was helpful to me as I was um, preparing for the sermon today. Um, I was thinking about this verse in the context of Pastor Sam's uh, sermon several weeks ago about agape love. You'll recall agape love is divine love. It's unconditional. It's self-sacrificial. It's something we can't generate on our own. Um, God has to give it to us. And I was thinking about it, thinking, well, I want this love. I don't have it. I, I need it. I'm so far away from it. I want to have it. And this is how it goes. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. This is the kicker for me. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. For me, the fear was preparing this sermon and delivering this sermon. It's, uh, you know, I didn't want to do it, um, you know, and, and, but, you know, Cindy and I prayed about it, felt convicted, should do it. So this was helpful for me. Thought I'd share it with you. Don't know if any of you are going through the same thing. Um, wonder if God's calling you to do something or God's using someone as an instrument to call you to serve him in some capacity one way or the other. I mean, you may be sure about your decision. That's fine. But the reminder, I think, from this uh, verse is don't let fear be the motivating factor for your decision. Um, It's interesting when you look at it. One more thing is that agape love, the opposite of agape love doesn't seem to be hate. It might be the opposite of phileo love brotherly love, but the opposite of agape love seems to be fear. So the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay, just want to share it with you. Okay, so the idea for the sermon today, uh, because it's Mother's Day, is we thought we'd uh, learn from three mothers. And um, we started uh, thinking about Rahab, because Cindy was mentioning to me one day, hey, uh, you know, did you know that uh, Rahab was the mother of Boaz? I said, yeah, yeah, you know, maybe that explains why Boaz was so kind to Ruth, because um, uh, Ruth was also uh, a foreigner. She was also a social outcast, just like Rahab was. 
and uh, maybe that affected how uh, Rahab brought up uh, Boaz. So that's how it started, and we thought, okay, uh, maybe we'll see what we can learn from Rahab, and then we look at some other mothers from that basic same era in the Old Testament. Um, um, the conquest, Rahab was around 1400 B.C., and then we'll look at um, um, Manoah's wife, which was during the time of Judges, which is um, before 1100 B.C., which is at uh, the time of Samson. We'll look at, um, sorry, Manoah's wife is 1100 B.C., that's the time of Samson. Ruth, Naomi, that's in the time of Judges. So that's kind of the area we're going to look at. So Rahab, we're not going to have time to go through a lot of the stories. I'm going to trust you know some of this. Um, but, uh, sorry, I have my notes, but um, my reading glasses broke this morning. And so I'm afraid to put them on because uh, they might just fall off. So I'm kind of going by memory, but I think I know what uh, I think I know what I want to say. So, you know the story of Rahab. The children of Israel were on the east of the Jordan, going to conquer Jericho. She hid the spies, and um, they survived. She saved their lives, and, and then Joshua came, and God miraculously uh, helped the Israelites to conquer Jericho. We just want to look at one thing with Rahab. And it says that she says to the spies, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all of all you who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab's allegiance had changed from the gods of Canaan to the God of Israel. Um, I bring this up because she's actually um, recognized in the New Testament twice. Um, Hebrews 11.31, she's in that famous faith chapter of the saints with, uh, you know, recognized for their faith. And it says, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Furthermore, in James, James Let's pick it up in, um, uh, let's go back. Oh. Okay, I'm missing something on here. And I have to read it. Uh. James, <clears throat> chapter 2, uh, verse 17. It's talking about faith and deeds. So it so goes, in the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James goes, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And then he goes on in the next few verses to talk about Abraham. That's understandable. Father Abraham was one of the patriarchs. Um, so it's not surprising that he'd be recognized as someone of combining faith and deeds. But then later on, he goes right after Abraham in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So what does Rahab teach us? If you look in the sermon outline, Rahab teaches about faith and deeds. Faith and deeds is essentially obedience. Okay? So faith and deeds go together. I was trying to think of an analogy, 
and uh, the best one I could come up with was uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I don't know if you, if you like them, but if you love them, you just can't have the peanut butter without the chocolate. They go together and it tastes different. And it's the same thing, faith and deeds. For a follower of Jesus Christ, they have to go together. It's not like Rahab was saved by her deeds. She was saved by her faith. But her deeds were a natural outflow of her faith. And they must go together. That's the way the Christian life is. And so she's recognized in the New Testament for this. Even though she wasn't perfect, you know, she did some stuff that you might find questionable. But... God recognizes her, honors her for that. So faith and deeds go together, okay? You cannot have one without the other. So that's the point. That's the lesson we learned from Rahab, all right? So it's all about obedience. And um, obedience has kind of a bad rap these days. So I thought I'd show this quote from a recent issue of Christianity Today. We often cringe when we hear the word obedience. It sounds legalistic even oppressive to us, but that betrays how misshapen our views of God and the gospel have become. God is not interested in creating an arbitrary list of rules for us to follow in order to prove our endurance or commitment. Christian obedience is about love. The commandments give an outline, a framework for the love of God and neighbor. Our understanding of God's law must always proceed from and toward love. Evangelical obedience is not about earning God's favor, but living out of it in the present power of Christ's resurrection. So the question for us is, is God calling you to obey in some area of your life? Faith and obedience, faith and deeds, they go together. Okay, so that's the lesson from Rahab. The next one is uh, Manoah's wife. She actually doesn't have a name in the Bible, but um, she's um, mentioned in Judges chapter 13. I think I'm going to have to go through the whole chapter with you because I'm not sure how familiar you're, you are with the story, but I'm going to read it and I'm going to interject uh, you know, comments as we go along. Um, so hopefully you'll get the, the hang of it. So the birth of Samson. Whoops. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So the time of the judges was a time of spiritual apathy. Uh, there was a lack of spiritual leadership, a lack of um, teaching. The, the, the priestly order was getting um, weak. Um, so you know the cycle was that the children of Israel would sin, and then they would um, suffer, like some uh, one of their neighbors would come. In this case, the Philistines would come and uh, terrorize them. Then they would cry out to God, God save us. And then God sends a deliverer, um, a judge. And the judge delivers them, uh, like in this case, Samson, or there was Gideon, or Ehud. And, and so, um, then, but then the cycle continues. So that's judges. And this is the cycle that happens with Samson. But we're not going to talk about Samson. We're going to look at Manoah's wife. A certain man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. 
The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. You can see the foreshadowing, you know, for Christ. But, uh, now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. Looks like she recognized that. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You'll become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drinks, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask where he came from, where he, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, but the, because the boy will be a Nazareth guard from the womb till the day of his death. I think I got these slides mixed up somehow. But basically she tells, the angel of the Lord tells her, what's going to happen. She tells Manoah what's going to happen, and then Manoah does this. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Doesn't this strike you a little bit odd? Manoah's asking God to tell him exactly what his wife just told him. He either doesn't believe his wife, he wants to see this man of God himself, or he doesn't listen to his wife. But anyway, God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. This is a double theophany, because the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife once, and the second time confirms the first one. But Manoah was not with her. So it's interesting, God answers Manoah's prayer, but not the way he wants. He answers her prayer, his prayer by appearing again to his wife, not to him. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up, followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? Angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine, nor other fermented drink, or anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. It's kind of like a put down of Manoah. It's like, all you have to do, Manoah, is get your wife pregnant, and she does the rest. She raises this boy to be a Nazarite. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. The writer of Judges makes sure we know Manoah did not realize it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on the rock to the Lord. The Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. 
what does he say? He says, we are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things or now told us this. So the woman gave birth to a boy and he was Samson and he went and did these things to the Philistines. So there's a few lessons here. One is, I attended a lecture on, on Samson once, and the lecturer called Manoah a dimwit. And I think we can call him, if he can do that, we can do that too. He was a spiritually dull person. He was not sensitive to the Lord. Um, however, then the question comes, can you relate to that? Are you sometimes spiritually dull yourself? Are you a dimwit sometimes spiritually? I mean, sometimes does God seem to be, you know, knocking on, on, on your heart or in your head and, you know, hello, hello, and, and you're, you're just, you just don't get it? I mean, I can, I can relate to that. But the good news is, God was still gracious to Manoah. He answered his prayer, just not the way Manoah wanted it to be answered. God appeared, the angel of the Lord appeared to his wife, not, not to him, and God accepted his offering. So God is gracious even though we can be spiritually dull sometimes. So that's just a side point about Manoah, but really want to look at Manoah's wife and what does she teach us. Well, she teaches us about spiritual sensitivity and godly common sense. All right, so that's the thing in your outline. Manoah's wife teaches us about spiritual sensitivity. She knew it was the angel of the Lord. She knew it was God. At least relative to her husband, she was spiritually sensitive. And she had godly common sense. You can just picture her telling her, you know, telling her husband after the uh, angel had went up in the flame and Manoah's crying out, you know, we're doomed to die. You can just, you know, in your imagination, go, she's saying, saying to him, like, no, silly. You know, if God had meant to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted the offering. And besides, if God's going to fulfill his promise and we're going to have a child, how are we going to have a child if we're dead? So she had some common sense. So I think the two... Go together, okay? So spiritual sensitivity and godly common sense go together, just like the Reese's peanut butter cup. You can't have one without the other. Um, so the question is, how do you increase your spiritual sensitivity and your godly common sense? And the way to do that is back to the basics. Okay, prayer, Bible study, fasting, meditation, the spiritual disciplines. So the question for us is, do you need more discipline in your life. Okay, the lesson from Manoah's wife is she teaches us about spiritual sensitivity and godly common sense. And the question for ourselves is, do you need more discipline in your life? Okay, I've got to go kind of fast here. Um, the next uh, mother is Naomi. Uh, Naomi's in the book of Ruth, all four chapters. Um, not going to go through the story. I really don't have time to go through the story. But, um, and we're not going to look at Ruth or Boaz, but you know those are the other two main characters. We're going to look at Naomi. The name Naomi means pleasant. It's translated as pleasant one. And um, so to recap, Naomi had a husband and two sons. They went to Moab. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons, became childless. Um, she goes back, famine's over, they go back to Bethlehem, and only Ruth stays with her. Um, God reinstates Naomi at the end by giving her an adopted son, a foster son. Well, that would be Ruth's son, you'll see as we go along. Okay? So, uh, Ruth chapter 1, 19 to 21. 
This is when Naomi and Ruth are going back to Bethlehem. So by now, Naomi is um, a widow and she's childless. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Mara means bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. All right, so Naomi went from pleasant to bitter, but she goes back to being pleasant. In between, there's the story of Ruth and Boaz, which we're not going to go into. So, Ruth 4, at the end end of the... um, at the end of the book, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons is given him by birth. When Naomi went back to Bethlehem, she said, I'm bitter. I don't have anything. She didn't even say that she had Ruth. But now, the women in the town say, Ruth is better than seven sons. Moreover, um, Naomi took the child in her arms. Literally, when it says she took the child in her arms, this means that she took the child to her bosom. Okay, she like raised him and cared for him. Literally, that means she became like his foster mother. And just in case you don't get it, the women in town recognize it. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Naomi goes from pleasant to bitter to pleasant. All through this, even though she went through a very, very hard time, she was still a faithful covenant partner with God. Her faith may have wavered, but she did not rescind or renounce her faith in the Lord. So Naomi is an example of living life with God. Okay, living life with God. She's also an example of sharing life with others. That's the thing in the, in the outline. So living life with God, sharing life with others. We didn't get into it, but Naomi mentored Ruth. If you know the story, you, we can, you know, there's debate how well she mentored Ruth and the things she told her to do, but she mentored Ruth to the best of her ability. So the question for us is, as we walk with God, as we journey along, the challenge is to stay faithful. You know, where are you in your journey? Are you going through the pleasant part? Are you going through the bitter part? The example from Naomi is to remain a faithful covenant partner. Sharing life with others is basically mentoring. It's the CNBC calls it life on life. There's a great book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. It's sharing life together. And that's what you do in a family, in a community. It can be one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three, or in groups. So the challenge for us is, are we living life with God faithfully? And are you mentoring? Are you being a mentor? Okay, so that's a challenge for us from, um, from Naomi. I think Naomi exemplified what Paul told uh, Titus in the New Testament here. He says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good Then they can urge younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So taken into her culture and context, I think she lived this out, just like we need to take that into our culture and our context. If you want to look at a a talk um, 
online, it's on YouTube. You can search uh, Christy and Yabuli. Living as Titus Two Women in a Romans One World. Okay, it's a talk at a women's conference. It's geared towards women, but I mean, I listened to it and thought it was pretty good. So if you uh, want to hear a good talk on mentorship, um, have a look at that. It's about 45 minutes. Okay, so let's wrap up and bring everything together. Um, Rahab teaches us about faith and deeds. In other words, obedience. Manoah's wife teaches us about spiritual sensitivity and godly common sense. Naomi teaches us about living life with God and sharing life with others. They all go together like peanut butter and chocolate. And you cannot have one without the other. All three mother's stories point us to the larger story of redemption. Okay? Um, Rahab was the first recorded Gentile convert in the Bible. She's a foreshadowing or a type, they call these things types, of the Gentile church. So she foreshadows the Gentile church. In other words, she foreshadows the redemption that comes from Jesus Christ, his incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. Everything points to Jesus. Manoah's wife, as I alluded to before, points to that cycle of, of deliverance that the judges Um, went through but it points to the ultimate redemption that we have through jesus christ the ultimate deliverer is jesus so it points to that naomi is a type of ethnic israel she's a foreshadowing of the jewish nation ruth is a foreshadowing of the gentile church again boaz is a foreshadowing of the guardian or kinsman redeemer he's a, a foreshadowing of christ so Just like Paul says, if you read Romans 9 to 11, Paul talks about the Jewish nation and how his heart is that they come to know Christ. And there's an olive uh, tree. And the Gentiles are wild olive shoots that are grafted into that tree. But the Jewish people were branches that were broken off. But God's going to eventually graft them back on. Why? Because God can do it. And through Jesus Christ, they will be grafted back in. And they will be grafted back in because of the Gentile church. Just like Naomi was brought from pleasant to bitter and she'll go back to pleasant because of Ruth. So the Gentile church will play a role in the Jewish nation coming to faith. Okay, so all three mother stories point us to the larger story of redemption. And we're going to wrap up here, but I just got to read my... So the question is, what are you going to do about it? Where are you in the story of redemption? Are you living out faith and deeds as uh, Rahab? Or are you like the people of Jericho that, um, that don't have faith, don't believe? Do you combine spiritual sensitivity with godly common sense, like Manoah's wife? Or do you struggle with that? The worry, God is gracious. Do you walk with God through the ups and downs of life? Do you mentor? Are you being mentored like Naomi? All of this points to redemption. Redemption reminds us of God's grace. It's all about God's grace. All three mothers that we looked at had flaws. Yet God was gracious to each of them. and He's gracious to us too. Remember, the main character in all these stories is God. His graciousness supersedes everything and is overwhelming. He's waiting to meet you wherever you are if you'll only seek his face.